Welcome everyone to Westview Q&A, where we seek to respond to your questions, questions we've received through the week and questions we didn't get to on Sunday mornings during our time of Q&A. I'm your host, Ryan Simunik, and I am, of course, joined by Pastor Charlie Salamone. Hello, friends. How are you feeling today, Charlie? Good. So you're not really an early bird, is that fair to say? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are your strategies for waking up before we have these in-depth conversations? Actually, this is my strategy. You're not really feeling awake on a Monday? Jump into a podcast. Perfect. Force yourself to <laughs> Yes. So if you're listening be on to the this spot. and you're not an early bird, just start a podcast. Yep, start a podcast. Good advice. So yesterday was Palm Sunday, and if you're listening to this, um, it will have just been Easter Sunday. Uh, about two weeks ago. We were a little bit late getting this episode out. We decided to take a little break after Easter. Okay, back to the podcast. Yeah. Um, this past Sunday, we cried out Hosanna together, which means save us now. So my first question to you is, how can we truly know that we're saved? Whoa. You're doing this to me every Monday morning. Every Monday. <laughs> you got to learn to find some like warm-up questions. Start with something simple. <laughs> something simple. Okay. How can we know that we are saved? Um, I want to uh, give a, um, an answer that is, I feel like, comprehensive in the sense of... Um, There are short and simple answers that I could give, but I want to be fair to the Bible, and the Bible has a lot to say on this topic. So, um, you know, uh, towards the end of your Bible, not the the book of John, but uh, John's first letter, so 1 John, um, The whole purpose of the letter, um, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And it's really the whole purpose of the letter is to tell the people who believe that they have eternal life. And in it, he gives a number of tests for you to apply to yourself. And the book is actually kind of repetitive. He repeats the same things in different ways lots of times. But the way that I see it, there's really three tests that he comes back to again and again uh, for, for you to, you know, apply to see if you have, you know, eternal life. Before I get into that, First, I'll say the way that you become a Christian is by believing in Jesus as your Savior. That is it. Um, But uh, the scriptures often talk about people who think they believe, but they don't really believe unto salvation, so to speak. They have a type of belief, but it is not the kind that is the saving kind. And... um, there's a lot you can say about that. But, uh, um, I mean, the book of John, as it starts out, it talks about how people um, believed God, but um, but you see that their faith wasn't the kind that, that Jesus was actually looking for. Um, and without getting into all that, let's just go back to where I was saying. First John gives these tests that you can apply to yourself. And the way I see it is there's three tests. Um, one of the tests you see is the test... Of, of right belief, um, of just believing um, 
what does it say? If, uh, I'm trying to remember the actual wording, but uh, I should look it up. But the idea is that like um, believing that Jesus came in the flesh, as in the Son of God came in the flesh. Like that's one of the tests. Like if someone denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I mean, that's the easiest one, okay? Easiest one to discern is... You know, if you do not confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who died for our sins and rose in the flesh from the dead, uh, you don't have salvation. So, right belief. That's one of the tests that you can apply. Um, and go ahead and, and, and read the whole letter for yourself. Um, uh, another one of the tests that you can apply is um, is when it comes to uh, the word of God. And, um, in the sense of, do you really care what God has said? Um, this isn't, this isn't about, um, uh, this isn't about like living a perfect life because the book of John also says, if anyone claims that they're without sin, they're a liar. The truth is not in them counterfeit salvation. Okay. But it is about how, um, uh, anyone who, what does it say? Um, anyone who listens to us. If anyone doesn't listen to us, um, what does it say? If anyone, this is why I like having a computer. Uh, I think it's the, uh, I think it's First John 4. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Uh, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Listening to us, I mean, meaning the apostolic word, the teaching of the apostles, how we would say the scriptures. Um, if you don't listen to the scriptures, that's a sign that God's uh, spirit hasn't actually taken life in your heart. So, um, and once more, this doesn't say that we obey it perfectly because we screw up, we have... You know, we, we lose our temper, we, we give into temptation, but the idea is we acknowledge God's word to be God's word and it means something to us, okay? We don't have hearts that reject God's word. Um, and, and, and with this is this desire to live for him, a desire to obey. Um, uh, you see this a lot in First John chapter 3, Um where it speaks about, um, uh, you know, um, children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Um, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And hear this part. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, just slow slow down before anyone starts to feel condemned by this. Um, he just got done earlier, you know, just, just a, a little bit earlier, again, saying that if anyone says they're without sin, truth is not in them. Okay, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate, so we can confess our sins, and and he will cleanse us. But the idea here is, um, if anyone uh, keeps on sinning, that's one of the translations, the idea is an attitude of unrepentance. Okay, the attitude of like, God's word says this, I'm going to keep living this other way, and I'm not going to listen 
to what God's word says. It's the same thing where if you say that Jesus is your Lord, I mean, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? Okay. And once more, I want to say this doesn't mean we do it perfect because we screw up, but it means we have a heart that longs to follow and a heart that says, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to follow it. Um, so, and this is why it says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. The idea of salvation isn't just changing your idea of who God is. It's you are born of his spirit. And if you plant a seed and it's a good seed, it's, if it's an apple tree seed, you're going to get an apple tree. You're not going to get a pear tree. Okay. And the idea is if you've been born of God, there is a seed of God planted in you. And that means that like righteous living is going to flow from that. Um, once more, not perfectly, but you're going to see it. Um, so, so one of the tests is right belief. Okay. Uh, another of the tests is does God's word and God's commands mean something to you? Okay. Um, is it something that you really long to follow? Um, and the third one, this is the big one, and these are all tied together. Um, the third one is, do we love um, one another? Um, as, as the, you know, the scriptures would say the brothers or the brothers and the sisters, depending on the translation. The idea is the church, the family of God. Do you prioritize the family of God in in love relationships. Um, this is, I mean, uh, verse 14 of chapter three, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Um, and so, so, you know, I'm tempted to go more into the letter and show you how these are all connected, but that's the idea. If we've been born of God, we love God's family. We prioritize God's family. Okay. If you, if you have a love for God's people, that is a sign of true salvation. If you truly desire to follow his word, okay, that is a sign of true salvation. And number three, if you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the savior, um, the son of God who died for sins, rose from the dead, um, and is returning in the flesh, like these things, these orthodox beliefs, these are signs. That's the third sign of true salvation. That's in the letter. Okay, so, oh, that's probably a longer answer than you were looking for. But, um, but once more, that doesn't speak about how you get saved. You don't get saved by obeying, you know, and, and uh, by loving people. That doesn't save you. We're saved by saying, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. I need your forgiveness. And we receive the Holy Spirit and this new life begins, which John describes. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Great. No, thank you for that. I, I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I like the long answer. I think it's important because it's a big question. So could we just go over those points one more time just quickly? So you said right belief. Is yep. the first one? Yep. Desire uh, to follow his word? Desire to follow his word. Yep. And love for God's people. Yep. Those are the three? That's it. So what would you say to somebody that as you're listing these off, they kind of go, oh man, what if I, what if I don't have the right belief? What if I don't really understand properly? Or what if I don't desire to follow God's word well enough? Or, you know, I, I had a really mean thought about somebody the other day, or I just had a nasty thought. What, what if I don't love God's people enough? How can, how can I have any assurance that I'm doing any of these things good and well enough to be saved. Yeah. Um, that's why I, you know, um, 
First John, the letter, again, is all about these tests that you can apply to yourself. But it's very, very important to read the book in the order. Read the letter in the order. And before really it gets to the tests, um, uh, you have this, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. This is chapter one. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So, so right, again, right away, there's this idea of, are we walking in light or are we walking in darkness? Okay. Because if we're walking in light, we have fellowship and, and, and we're, we're purified from sin. Our, our sin doesn't count against us. The blood of Jesus covers it. And then you have this idea of like, well, what does this mean? Walking in darkness, walking in light. And then you read the next verse. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So uh, this is actually a lot what Basil talked about a couple weeks ago. This idea of walking in darkness versus walking in light is walking with the acknowledgement of we're continually needing his forgiveness. We're continually falling short. Okay, And so the answer to your question is the person who is hearing this saying, I want to love God's people more. I want to obey God's word more. Um, I I really want to believe the right things. Lord, help me. It's like, way to go. You're asking the right questions. You're desiring the right things. Um, And that's what the letter starts out with this idea of if we confess our sins, if, if we acknowledge that we're not perfect and, and we need help and we need transformation, boom, that's where his power and transformation is going to work. That's walking in the light. Okay. But on the other hand, if we're like, oh, I've kind of nailed this Christian life and you know, my love for others is good. Okay. I'm, I, I, I'm doing good in that. My obedience to God's word, doing great, you know, um, that's, and you're, you're not walking before God with this attitude of I'm a sinner and, and you're continually walking in confession. That's, that's the one that I'd be worried about. So if you're asking those questions, I'd say you're walking in the light, keep asking those questions, but don't let those questions lead you to, to despair. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Keep asking those questions, keep examining yourself, but at the same time, just look to this, this truth. Um, you know, if, if we confess our sins, if we're living this life of confessing our sins, um, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And just to be clear, that doesn't mean every time you sin, you need to confess it. You need to get cleaned. And, you know, well, what if I forgot about a sin? What if I didn't confess this other sin? Does that mean I'm not cleansed of it? No. And I think this is more apparent in the Greek. The idea here is if we are confessing, if we're living a life of confessing, okay? If we're walking yeah. before him with this humble attitude of like, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm still a sinner. You, you've saved me. You are saving me. You're working your salvation through me, but I'm still a sinner. I'm Every time I come before you, I'm coming before you as a sinner needing forgiveness, but also a sinner who has received forgiveness. Yeah. So you can, you, can, uh, you can be longing for more love, more obedience, you know, more faith, while at the same time believing that salvation is yours. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like a lot of what we're talking about here is these evidences for being saved. We have to, we have to acknowledge that they are the fruits, not the root of salvation, 
right? So yeah, it's, exactly. It's Jesus said, "You can do nothing apart from me," and it, it says in the scriptures that He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So it's it's this looking outside of ourselves first for yep. that which was done apart from us for us, right? And 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 then we look at the fruits of of yep. that. Yep, and that's once more, if you feel like you're lacking in fruits, the the answer to that is not to just craft for yourself more fruits, okay? Right. The answer is to go back to the tree and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I need your salvation. I need you working in me. Um, and, and look to him and believe. Yeah. Anyone who comes to me will by no means be cast out. Believe that he is a faithful savior who truly saves all who come to him with that attitude. Yeah, amen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run the and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So we we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Amen. Anything to add to that before we move on? No, I think I already gave you a longer answer than you were looking for. No, so. I, I love it. That was, <laughs> okay. that was great. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 4.17... It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. What is the kingdom of heaven? Okay, very good. There's a lot we could say about this, but I'm going to really try to give a, a short answer. Speaking to the audience that he was talking to, they had uh, an idea that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God was coming. And uh, when you think the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, don't think primarily of a place. Think primarily of uh, a king and um, and uh, uh, a rule, um, as in, um, you know, basically to say the kingdom of heaven is coming is to say the king is coming. And God is going to establish his rulership, his government, his, you know, authority in the land. So the Jews had this idea, and they got it from the Old Testament. It was a good, correct idea that a day was going to come when God was going to send a king into the world who would rule with righteousness and goodness and evil would be punished and, uh, you know, righteousness would be rewarded and, um, and there'd be more, there'd be peace on earth and the lion would lay down with the lamb. There would be no more bloodshed. Uh, people would turn their, their swords into plows and, you know, um, uh, there would be, there would be peace and, and prosperity. And so they had this idea that, um, the kingdom of God was coming and they were an oppressed people. Okay. So a big part of that for them was the end of Gentile oppression. Okay. They were the Jews, God's special people. They viewed the Gentiles as not God's special people. Okay. And God is going to come and establish Israel as king and, and they would rule over these, these Gentiles and overthrow them. Um, so with this idea of the kingdom of God coming, 
um, which was right, which was correct. The kingdom of God is coming. Um, with it was a wrong idea that we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And so when Jesus showed up and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, and then there was this idea of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was preaching this to the Jews, to the religious Jews, to the Pharisees, to all of them. Yes, the kingdom of God is coming as you expected, and you need to repent because in your heart, you're not actually seeking righteousness. You're not actually seeking his righteousness. You're not actually seeking him as king. Um, you're blind to who he really is. But he is coming. Um, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close by. Um, but if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. And you're going to be on the opposing side of this new righteous king. Yeah. 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 No, that's really helpful. You know, I was thinking about this before too, and it's it, it it makes a lot of sense when you think of the language that we see in the scriptures of of us being enemies of God, right? And only those who choose to repent and choose to fall back under the reign of God become children of God and become friends of God. Um, but those who still reject his reign and reject to become a part of this kingdom are remain his enemies. Yeah, Um what does it say? Whoever believes, you know, in the Son of God has life, uh, but whoever does not believe does not have life as the wrath of God remains upon him. That's hmm. uh, um, the word that we believe in and that we've been given. Yeah, and it's really going back to Genesis, right, where we were created to be an extension of God's reign upon the earth. Like we fall back under His reign. It's this, this, this restorative. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a, a you know an interesting way of looking at it. Like by taking the apple, it was like, or taking the fruit. You know, yeah. um, the Bible doesn't actually say it was an apple. <laughs> you know, we've picked that up uh, uh, along the way. Um, but by taking the fruit, you know, the orange. <laughs> the strawberry, whatever, yeah. you know, um, by taking the fruit, we basically, the, the temptation was you're going to be like God. Okay. Right. You can be your own God. You don't need mm -hmm. him. Okay. And so there's this idea of like, the whole thing with sin was we don't want God to be our King. We want to be our own King. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, uh, now the kingdom of God is coming well, that's good, but first we need to repent of what got us into this mess, this yeah. hard attitude that says, I want to be my own king. I don't want him to be king. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point to bring it back to Genesis. And, and Jesus comes humble and riding on a donkey, arms open wide, saying, I'm making a way for you to be children of God, to be subjects of this kingdom once again. Yep. Right? Yep, Exactly. And, and we have this have this choice, and you alluded to this during your sermon that he's coming back on a war horse. Yeah. So we we have this time to make that decision. Yep. Anything else you want to add to that before we move to another question? No. Let's keep going. What else is in so here? So on Sunday, uh, there was a question that says, "Sometimes we find it easy to show mercy to unbelievers, but why do we? But why do you think we struggle to show the same unconditional mercy to our brothers and sisters in Christ? As Christians, we seem to be quick to isolate and distance our own." Now I know we answer that question 
but I'd like to make it a little bit more specific and ask, when moral failings are revealed in the church community, how do we show the love and grace of God as we hold each other accountable to the lives of holiness God is calling us to while showing the unconditional mercy and grace that we've personally been given from him? We've seen in many communities where oftentimes really prominent leaders have had serious moral failings. There's there's this temptation or tendency to want to sweep things under the rug in the name of grace, often at the expense of truth. But, yeah, yeah. but we also see the other extreme of kind of cancel culture's influence and in how we view people after moral failing. So how do we embody Christ's love in all of this? Okay. Um, So on Sunday, I spoke a lot about um, this uh, huge, huge, uh, you know, teaching and idea that we need to acknowledge that we're all sinners, and for that reason, we cannot look at others with contempt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As in, can you believe this guy? Can you believe yeah. this sinner? Like, I can't believe they would do this. It's so outrageous. Like, I would never do something like this. Like, how serious it is um, that we don't take that position. And everyone was shocked when Jesus wanted to go to the house of Zacchaeus because that guy was the worst of the worst. And Jesus did that in front of everyone to let them know, I don't see it that way. You know, the way I see it, you're all sinners. Um, And until you understand that, okay, um, until you understand that, you're never going to come to me. Um, And so, so anyways, there's this danger. There's this danger when it comes to, to sin in the church and there, there always will be until he returns. There's this danger that we look at sinners with contempt. Like, can you believe this guy? You know, I I can't believe they would do that. How dare you? You know, that's a danger. But on the other hand, okay. But on the other hand, that, that doesn't mean we live in a way where we don't acknowledge sin. We don't try to deal with it in a healthy way loving, non-condemning way, um, we absolutely have to, to, to address sin. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, whoever, whoever turns back a wanderer in his way, uh, will, um, let's see, now I gotta look at it. Whoever turns back a wanderer Let's see. I think it might be from the... Oh, no, this is James. Consider this. Consider this. Uh, Whoever turns a sinner from the error in their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Um, the, The previous verse says, my brothers or my brothers and sisters, depending on the translation, it means all believers. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, okay, bringing back people who are wandering from the truth. Like this is, uh, um, this is an enormous aspect of our ministry. Um, uh, or, um, what is the, the passage? I think it's, uh, carry one another's burdens. I think that's Ephesians, uh, no Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter six, just a 
uh, consider this also. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, okay, hear this. This is a big deal. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So carrying each other's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ, is equated with helping one another uh, 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 leave a life of sin and, and turn from sin, but doing this in a way that's gentle. The idea of not in a condemning, harsh, like, I can't believe you would do this again type attitude, because that's coming from the heart of, of pride. But we do, we do, we do um, with love and, and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we do need to address sin. And how we do this isn't always easy. There's huge questions involved. You know, s- someone comes to the Lord, their life is messy as it often is. Um, you know, uh, I don't think that, you know, on day one, you become a Christian. It's okay. Okay. Now that you're a Christian, come down to my office. Cause I have a list of like, you know, 15 things that I've noticed that you need to change. You know, like I think there's, um, there's a, a bit of, uh, you know, you walk with the spirit and you try to discern what's, what's, um, what is God working on and, and, and what's, what's first, what's the first priority, um, and so one of the you know principles I have is before you can really address like the surface level sins, which is kind of like the fruit, you know, before you can address the surface level sins, you really need to address um, the heart of like, do you get the gospel? Do you understand um, his love, the the freeness, the goodness of his love? Um, and do you believe that like his plan is better than your plan and it's a plan for your good? It's not a plan to restrict you. Um, it's a plan to have your life flourish. So so that's a question of like how you address sin. And a lot of times it's 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 not by just saying, hey, I noticed you're doing this. Like you need to stop doing this. It's uh, the the love that 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 speaks, do you know? Um, the goodness of God, because a lot of times that enables us to say, just like Zacchaeus, you know what? Uh, I don't want to live this way anymore because it's not helpful. It's yeah. not good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this will be our last question because I think we're running low on time here. Um, there is a story in the Bible where there is a blind man that Jesus heals. When his disciples ask him if he or his parents were the ones to sin and bring this consequence into the man's life, Jesus told them that it wasn't the result of sin, it was for them to see the glory of God displayed through him. Then there is Job's story where he, had, where he hadn't committed anything wrong to bring upon all his afflictions. We know that there is suffering because we live in a broken world, but could we therefore say that God himself brings suffering in someone's life? Or does he only allow it? In other words, does God play an active or a passive role in bringing about suffering? <laughs> okay. 
It's just like one more question. Okay, one one more question. It'll be a short one or whatever. It's like, oh, what a, what about the sovereignty of God and suffering? Um, I don't think I said it would be a short one. Okay. <laughs> In my mind, I was like, oh, we're we're wrapping up. Okay, yeah. what else? Uh, um, there's been books and long, long conversations, and that's what you're getting at, the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means the all-control of God for his purposes um, in the suffering, um, and, and you could even say in, in, this, in evil, in, in the evil things that happen in the world. How does God's sovereignty um, uh, work into that? And uh, the, once more, a long answer is deserved, but I'm going to— do a short answer. I think the book of Job is is the the best way we see this play out. Um, who is it? Job, if you don't know, was a man who was called righteous, uh, meaning he he trusted in God. Um, doesn't mean he was perfect, as uh, we also see, but he is. Uh, he, he trusts in God. He walks with God. He walks humbly. And, um, well, the way the story starts out is um, the devil appears before God. And uh, he his attitude, the devil's attitude is really to challenge the goodness of God. Like, you're not really good. You're not really worthy of praise. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? So God is the one who originally brings Job into the conversation. God is the one who plants the idea in the devil's mind of, hey, what do you think about Job? Then the devil says, well, he only praises you because you bless him if you take away the good things that he has because Job is rich and he's got a bunch of kids and and possessions and such. Take away all that he has and he's going to curse you. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, then God says to the devil, okay, his life is in your hands. Um, so, so what's interesting is first the devil said to, to, to God, stretch out your hand against him. Okay. The, 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 the language is really answering the question that you're asking. Uh, Uh, The devil says to God, stretch out your hand, as in bring destruction on his life. And God says, yes, okay. He is in your hands. He gives Job into the devil's hands. Destruction comes upon Job. He loses a lot, you know. Um, uh, But then at the end of the chapter, um, uh, you know, Job says very famously, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And so, uh, and then the end of the book of Job says that Job was comforted in the end from all the trouble that the Lord brought upon him. Um, so basically, yes, it is the devil in one sense, wreaking havoc in Job's life. Um, as God said to the devil, he's in your hands. So God's not taking delight in, in, in bad things happening, but you have to see ultimately whose hand is at work, and it's ultimately God's hand, and a lot of reasons for this. God's the one who originally brought up Job to God, to, to, to the devil. Uh, God is the one who's, you know, the devil said, stretch out your hand against him. 
All right, did God say yes or did God say no? God said yes. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try this. You know, I'll, 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 I'm, I'm willing to take your challenge. Okay. Uh, reason number three, Job said it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And, and the rest of the narrative at the end says the trouble the Lord brought upon him. Okay. And, and what's more in the book of Job, um, one of the things, and this is really almost like one of the climaxes of the book, um, when God speaks to Job, Job says, no plan of yours can be thwarted. Like you have a plan. You're working out your plan through good and through bad. Um, and, and just so no one thinks this is just like an Old Testament truth, um, in a smaller way, this plays out in the New Testament when Jesus says to Peter, uh, Simon, Simon, another name for Peter, uh, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Um, where it's the same idea. The devil wants to challenge um, the heart of Peter. Is he really someone who's going to to praise God even when, you know, trouble comes upon him? Um, so um, to answer the question... God is in control of all things, working out his plan through good, through bad. He's working out his plan for glory. Um, and at times, he seems to give the devil a certain amount of authority to wreak trouble on the world. But ultimately, it's, it's all part of, part of God's plan. Um, so that's the answer, the way I see it in the Bible. That's a very thorough answer. Thank you for that. Okay, really appreciate you're welcome. it. <laughs> yes. You know, you referenced at the end of Job where um, Job says, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, the next passage, the next verse rather says, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And I think that shows us because it mirrors what is said in Psalm 131. And I think that our response largely is Psalm 131. And it says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. And I mention that because I think what you said is so important and it's really helpful for us to know how that dynamic can play out. But there is a limit to what we can understand in terms of what we might call philosophical theology or understanding. But how does that really work with the God and the devil and this and that? And there is a moment of just going... I don't know, but I trust you and yeah, I hope in you. That's, that's, that's really good. It's, uh, or, or sometimes like, you know, when bad things are happening, I try to be like, yeah, I think God's doing this so that mm. this happens. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's just like, okay, this is above my pay grade. Yeah. I'm yeah. just going to have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Cause I certainly don't, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I remember a, a moment where I was talking to my wife, Lucy, and just trying to understand, um, I think it was about healing prayer and just understanding it's like, well, when we pray for this, why doesn't that happen? Is it always God's will to heal? Is it always this like all of these hard questions? She was like, that's not for you to know. Essentially. She was telling me, it was like, th there was just this moment of like there, there's space for seeking out answers to those things, but there's also a time to quiet our hearts and just go, this is too wonderful for me. I'm just going to hope in the yep. Lord. That's the truth. Hope in the Lord, All family. Right. I think that's a good place to end. I agree. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Yes. Um, 
if you have a question that you'd like us to answer or comment about something we talked about, uh, maybe you completely disagree with us on something we said, um, send us an email to ask at westviewmontreal.org. That's ask at westviewmontreal.org. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Also, if I can say, uh, I know we're new at this, you know, um, if you just have any feedback in general about the podcast, things yeah. you've noticed, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we're baby, baby podcasters. We're baby podcasters. and uh, Just learning to walk. Yep. Just learning to walk. <laughs> and uh, if you have any just ideas, thoughts, yeah. uh, it'd be just great to hear yeah. from you. How, how's the podcast doing? Like enough of the strange analogies or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or can you... Ryan, can you try to get him to answer questions in a shorter fashion? <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hundred percent. I agree. Please. We want to hear us your feedback. feedback. Yeah. So we do. What's we the do. email address again? It's ask a s k at westviewmontreal.org. Wonderful. We've yet to receive an email, so send us one. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Sounds good. Check Grace the spam box. and peace <laughs> to you, friends. Okay. Take care. Yep. <laughs>